Matt Goodwin, Luke Patrick here with All About Reality Pod coming to you after the NFL draft is done. The 95 theses of our NFL general managers managers has been nailed to the wall. We know what they're demanding of us to analyze and think about. And so now it's time for you and I, Goody, to get into it a little bit, analyze it from a Reality Sports Online perspective and figure out how we can help our listeners to better approach their rookie drafts in RSO leagues. Yep, definitely an exciting opportunity to do that. I definitely have the post-draft itch. I, I mean, I think in our writer's league, we're getting into the rookie draft, I think, to, what does it start, tomorrow? So, yeah, pretty pretty early for, for some leagues. So we want to get that advice out, at least our initial reactions. Obviously, things evolve over over time and off-season camps and, and whatnot and positional rankings and injuries, depth charts, things like that. So, you know, last year, Kareem Hunt wasn't, viewed as a stud until August and you know team moved up the the rookie chart so to speak then um after Spencer Ware got hurt so keeping all those things in mind it'll be interesting to talk about this um see what situations we're excited about what we're a little more cautious about and where the standard deviations are and, and things of that nature Absolutely, man. So let's just jump right into this. Assume Barkley's a standalone tier of 101, as he's always been. So let's move beyond that. The new tier of perhaps one, and this is where I wanted to pick on you a little bit, Darius Geis, soon to be my neighbor here in Washington, D.C., slipped a little bit in the real NFL draft, but uh, is still kind of standing firm in early consensus rankings and in early Twitter feedback uh, as the 1.02. Is that something that you're happy about? I think I'm somewhat comfortable with it. I I know there were some concerns about him, at least in some of the NFL chatter, and w- whether that's real or not, who, who knows? Seems like teams pick on some small flaw and then <laughs> open up the flesh. So, you know, whether he all he thinks about is video games and he missed flights and whatnot, you know, th- that, that remains to be seen. Um, obviously, you know, somebody has 1.02 can – build that risk into into what they're doing. And if they're not excited about that, maybe move down and, and get some value. Um, for me, I, I think what's interesting about guys is too is, is they stayed there. The situation in Washington is is a good one. I don't. I don't think Samaj P. Ryan really is, is much of a much of a threat from a running perspective. Um, I, I think that you know they Washington used high draft capital because they weren't confident they had the running back they needed. Um, even with kind of a you know Jay Gruden being someone who's carried a lot of backs in the past, I, I still like the the role that Chris Thompson has in that offense, especially with someone like Alex Smith. You know, in, in fold there. You know, if I personally had the second pick, I, I don't know that I'd be going going with Geis because while he has a more direct path to carries, I still believe in some of the talent of a couple of the guys right behind him. Two things. You cracked me up, my friend. I'm glad that you said you're, you, you're not afraid or you're not thrilled with, uh, with Samaj P. Ryan from a running perspective, you've clearly seen the pictures of his biceps. Like that man frightens all of us in just like <laughs> personal life, like walking to at least you added that conditional. So you won't get roughed up if you meet him on the street. But um, <laughs> number two though, I, I like what you have to say. I do think he is perhaps the safest pick at the one Oh two. And just it, without looking at these rankings and, and you and I didn't talk about this before. How deep do you think it goes for those of us who are RSO GMs now in, in either single or we'll talk single and super flex? 
how deep does the running back run go before we start looking at other players in round one of our rookie draft? So we, we have 101, 102 seemingly guaranteed. I assume 103 for you two. How, how, how much further out do you want to push that before you're looking away from the running back position? I think me personally, I think it's still, you know, and we've talked about this in prior podcasts with some other guests. I still think it's 1.05, 1.06, depending. I mean, I could I could see someone taking a DJ Moore at 1.05. I could see someone now taking Rashad Penny at 1.05 or, or even earlier, you know, depending on if they're drinking Bob, Bob Cowper's Kool-Aid. Um, you know, and, you know, people always seem to be enamored by the Seattle landscape running backs and somebody who potentially has a direct path to that opportunity yeah so penny drops in at the 1.04 on the new consensus he whereas geist will be living near me apparently somebody with character concerns that can't be said about penny he's going to be your new neighbor maybe a nicer one not their own party he's not playing Fortnite all the time so talk to me about uh like talk to me about that are you as excited so penny took a massive uh, or I shouldn't say he took a massive jump. He just kind of seemingly solidified a spot in the top four picks of most rookie drafts with that landing spot and with being the top running back um, selected after the one and only Saquon Barkley. So talk to me, like, is that is that something you're excited about, uh, spending that kind of capital on him? I, I think potentially just because the, te- the team definitely had other needs, offensive line, things, things of that nature. Um, you know, and, and they did draft some offensive linemen, guy from Ohio State and Jamarco Jones that I, that I like a lot. Um, I, I think, and I think he was in like the fifth round, but I, I do think Penny ha- has a, a fairly decent opportunity. But what's hard to sift through here, especially at this point, if you're having your rookie drafts like right now, Pete Carroll is is still pretty upbeat on on a couple other guys, especially with, you know, new offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer, there's an emphasis to run the ball effectively. I, they, they may go old school with that and, and try, I wouldn't say they're returning Russell Wilson to be a game manager by any means, but I think they want to have a stable of backs that can produce and, and they weren't confident Thomas Rawls was always hurt. I mean, they still have CJ Procise who, who, you know, has been always hurt, but I still think they view Procise as, as a pass catcher, I mean, they, they use J.D. McKissick a little bit when forced to. And I still think the team has, you know, some hopes with Mike Davis and Chris Carson. So for me, that's a very crowded backfield, almost more so than what um, Nick Chubb has, is coming into uh, with the Browns at for a player who, you know, frankly just isn't as high, talented or highly graded as Chubb. So, I mean, for me, I, I think that, you know, what this, what this NFL draft did for me personally this year, maybe more so than some other years is you want to be excited about both the player and the situation. And I think a lot of these players this year, i.e. Sonny Michelle, i.e. Nick Chubb with, you know, Duke Johnson, Carlos Hyde and, and, and a handful of others, um, the guys you wanted to see pegged into a bell cow situation don't necessarily have a clear path to that this year. And I think that makes RSO owners nervous or impatient. But I think with the fifth year option, with some one of the biggest lessons I've learned had you know in some of the moves I've made that have been wrong, have it kind of skewed towards being more patient and and take the most talented player. And and if it takes a year for them to develop, I mean I did it with Devontae Freeman way back when. And that paid dividends. So I, I think 
I'm going to emphasize patience, especially, you know, if you're drafting early on and, and get the player you believe in and the situation I think will work itself out. It's good advice. It's just hard to hear after we got spoiled with all those top uh, 12 and even top 24 performances from in the early returns from running backs last year. Um, speaking of situations that seemingly everybody was aching for Barkley to fall to Tampa Bay for um, for them to, to swoop in and pick up Geist there, opt for the second option. Now, Tampa Bay probably made the right NFL move by not investing that kind of capital in their running back, but they do eventually at pick 38 still drop a really premium pick on a rather surprising name. So they went and a polarizing name. Ronald Jones certainly has split uh, the draft community and, and Twitter draft Knicks on their, how they see his potential. So I have to say he's one of those ones that I, I'm happy from my own perspective, because I tend to fall on the side that I don't have a lot of belief in Ronald Jones, but I think that kind of landing spot and that seemingly clear path to carries is going to cause some less patient owners to, to take him higher than I certainly would in a, in a rookie draft and post draft he's, he's crept into the top uh, top eight picks. So I guess he's solidified that, that, that role um, even dropping one since after the draft, but he's, he's seemingly solidified a spot there. I'm happy to let someone else go chase Ronald Jones's opportunity. Where do you sit on him? I'm right there with you. You took the words out of my mouth. It's it's good to be on the same page sometimes. Yeah. I, I'm I'm on there with you for, uh, on that one. It's namely because I I just feel like Ronald Jones didn't didn't do that much against some of the big time opponents they played. Um, you know, Ohio State the game script kind of didn't help them out because they were down you know fairly early in that game, twenty one nothing. So I yes, he has a great opportunity on a on a pretty good offense in, in Tampa in a in a high scoring division. Um, but at the same time, Tampa in the first round went went defensive defensive line. I mean, I love didn't they pick Vitave from Washington? Vitave, yeah, yeah, yeah and. I mean, that front four is just ridiculous. You know, I, I don't like to talk on the defensive side of the ball that often, but, you know, get get those four and a couple other players they have on that team, Quan Alexander and, and Levante David. I mean, that's that's a really intriguing defense if you're in leagues with defenses. I know you don't like, like those so much. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think – I'm content to let someone else take Ronald Jones there or if they're antsy to get him and I have the opportunity to still get value out of it from a trade perspective, maybe I'm doing that. But I, I, I do I do do feel more solidly about his prospects than I than I did before, but I'm I'm personally still not gonna take that leap. Sounds good. So I'm going to list for you really quickly and for our listeners, the new consensus as of the last couple of days that are is emerging in the community based on early returns on mock drafts uh, drawn from like the most recent updates too from expert consensus on fantasy pros. And so here's what we've got at, as the new top 10. Uh, Barkley at the top, Geis, Sony Michelle, Rashad Penny. Then you have DJ Moore coming in as the first uh, wide receiver Back to running back at Chubb at the 106. Calvin Ridley, Jones the second, Freeman, and Sutton. Any of those names stand out to you as uh, obviously not belonging at the cool kids table at lunch? Hmm. Sutton's one at kind of on the fringe, probably for me. I think I think all those other guys belong. Um, you know, Chubb at six. I I mean, if I had that 
a spot I'd be super excited about it because I mean, think about it from this perspective. The Browns had so many draft picks and stockpiled assets and, you know, there was, there was an argument even to be made to, for them to draft Barkley first. They didn't. They grabbed the quarterback they wanted, which, you know, time will tell. I mean, I was on, in the Darnold camp, but I think, Mayf- you know, I'm just happy they really didn't pick Josh Allen. So I, I think that Mayfield, you know, Mayfield's going to be interesting. And all the PFF stats kind of seem to back up that they, at least on paper, drafted, you know, the, the best quarterback. Uh, so... But that you know, then they filled a defensive need, and then they used really high draft capital on Chubb, which I think points to the fact that they like him a lot. I mean, I, the Browns also haven't been afraid to trade, trade or get rid of sunk money, so they they could easily trade Carlos Hyde if they wanted to. Duke Johnson's a free agent at the end of the season. You know, they they may have to, depending on if, what kind of season Josh Gordon has, they may have to go that route. Um, you know, if he, you know, bounces back and has a, has a killer season. So I, you know, I, I really like Chubb at, at 1.06. I, I mean, I'm inclined to probably still pick him fourth if I, you know, if I'm sitting in that space, um, with regards to Sony Michelle, let's talk about him for a second. First off, I want to give props to Graham Barfield for, for nailing where he, his landing spot when he was on the podcast with us. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that that was pretty impressive. That's not the first time we give kudos to one of our guests for for really getting something right. I but, know those kudos; those are really becoming very prescient podcasts. If you if you want to go back as a listener to listen to what uh, Waldman had to say, what Graham Barfield had to say, what our own Bob Cowper and Nick Edges, like each one of them actually knocked out some some insights right out of the park on those. So yeah, talk to like Sony Michelle. I I think. He gets a, a tiny spike in in value here. He bumps up to the he bumps up to the 103 in the new mm-hmm. consensus. Uh, that that's up from the 106. So right, just like fantasies mimicking reality, those two Georgia running backs are kind of inextricably linked now for their careers. And there's going to be some some fun play at hand as to who performs better over the course of their career. And and it is tough to make the case. Again, this is a, a one a day. I, I think we've we've got a, a mind meld going on, despite not talking to each other for a minute now. But yeah. I, I, I'm with you on. I, I like the running back Nick Chubb better. Maybe it's because Matt Waldman came on here as the Jedi Master and just tricked us into like understanding his his worth. But I I, I do think Chubb's awesome. I do think he merits the 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 pick at 106. Um, selfishly for in our league and the experts league. And this is something we'll talk about more as we get into like, I'm so thrilled at starting up. So many moves were made fast and furious last year. I don't know if they're going to fly as, as quickly, but at the one Oh six, I do feel like I'm going to have my choice of Nick Chubb or the best wide receiver or the best quarterback in, in a super flex league, which, which probably is your boy Baker Mayfield now as the Browns. And so that, that, it's scary, but fun to think of taking a Browns quarterback, you know, but nonetheless. Um, so, yeah. So what what do you want to talk about with Michelle? Like, you know, PPR league like ours, he, he's an intriguing option in that, in that backfield. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, if, if Bill Belichick's that excited about you, that that's, that's a good sign. I, I don't know that his path to being somebody who's getting a ton of volume this year, this year is the case. I mean, I think Burkhead's very much part of that offense. James White is very much part of that passing offense. Um, so, you know, Michelle may, may be kind of the, the Deion Lewis type with, you know, touchdown upside, but I, 
I, I think the big thing, the big interesting thing with the Patriots, really with Sonny Michelle, is that they must have really liked the guy if they picked him, given his propensity, you know, his one weakness, which is propensity to fumble, because that's one thing we've seen Bill Belichick has zero patience for. So, I, I mean, if you're reading between the tea leaves here, I, I think that there's definitely a definitive carved out role for him right away, but. Over the long term, is is it as defined or is it as upside ridden, so to speak, as something like maybe maybe Chubb would have, like Ronald Jones may have, like even Penny may have, and and I, I don't know that that and the, the answer to that is yes. I I do think though one thing you really want to pay attention to as an RSO owner is what a team is doing in the draft to, if they're to get a certain player. If, if a team is trading up to get a, a running back they're, they're targeted on, i.e. carry on Johnson with the lions last year, Kareem hunt got Kareem hunt was somebody who the chiefs, um, John Dorsey at the time who thought very highly of, and, and was somewhat prescient in that. I mean, of course the opportunity had to come from, you know, a little bit from Spencer Ware getting hurt, um, having that gruesome injury. So I, I think that looking into some of the trades that some of these teams made, it, you know, for certain players, and the, the two that I'd key on are, are first, like I said, the, the, trade, the trade I just mentioned, the Lions trading up for on Johnson. Um, so that, you know, they, if he went at pick 43, they trade the Patriots, their second pick 51 and a fourth round pick, pick 117. So, I mean, that's pretty high draft capital for a guy they liked. I, I know Detroit still has a couple other guys in their backfield with kind of similar carved out roles as some of the Patriots guys with like Theo Riddick being a third down back type and whatnot, Mir Abdullah, um, and now, um, Garrett Blunt, so Matt Patricia's kind of replicating the model that they had in, in New England. And another team that I wanted to talk about, and while he's not in the top ten that you mentioned there, that made a kind of a high investment in a in a trade draft in a draft day trade. Um, well, there's two of them actually. So the 49ers grabbing Dante Pettis at um, 44 at pick 44, um, also getting pick 142 in that, and trading a second and a third this year with second, which turned into Darius Geis, and the 74th pick, which um, was a tackle from Louisville to the Redskins, as well as the Bears getting um, Anthony Miller, who's who Bob Cowper was very high on with um, – some you know on the high end comps of guys talk, talking like Antonio Brown, um, the Bears trade for pick, that pick fifty one. The Bears gave up a two thousand eighteen fourth um, pick one hundred five, and then a two thousand nineteen second round pick. So which is, which is pretty high high draft capital for a guy they liked. So I mean this is the Bears. You saw what they gave up for Trubisky last year to move up. I think a spot. Um, so what, what do you think that the signaling is with that in terms of when teams are making trades to, you know, get a guy that they've really locked in on? I'll tell you what, you give us one of the better, more actionable insights from the pod tonight. Um, I think you're right to point out and a number of different writers online have, have alluded to this, uh, especially with the success of Kareem Hunt last year, um, and other people that people may have come up to get. I think it makes me feel a lot better about Kerryon Johnson, who as a prospect was kind of fading to the background of all the noise pre-NFL draft, and he was getting leapfrogged 
um, in, in buzz by some prospects that were taken much later. And so what this does is Carrion Johnson currently sits at the number 11 pick, so he's still going to be a first-rounder in most of our leagues. So in RSO, that means you're spending $3.5 million a year on him if you're picking him at that 11th pick. And the other two guys that you mentioned, Anthony Miller and Dante Pettis, ring in at 14 and 15, respectively, in for an RSO GM. So I'm going to try to translate what that NFL draft capital did, does for me into to what it does for me as a player in an RSO GM. I actually like all those guys and their situation far more than guys being taken ahead of them. DJ Moore is my favorite receiver in this class, and I'm not sure. And there's some open air yards available to him in Carolina. Um, he's got a great quarterback in some respects that are that may play to his strengths, and I'm still trying to figure that out. And I'm going to look to in, in one of my next articles. I'm going to look to their offensive coordinator and see whether they will be able to scheme DJ Moore open with with um, with Christian McCaffrey cutting into a lot of that workload too. I think they, in some ways they can be redundant that way, but um, I like all three of those names. I'm glad you put them out there. And I think that, that RSO GMs should be targeting those guys roughly where they're at. I'll tell you this. Normally I'm all in for a running back, but if you ask me whether I'm more confident paying carry on Johnson escalating 3.5 million a year and beyond, or, the, the one and a half million dollar contract that it would take me to get Dante Pettis at, at 15, I'm probably willing to move back and pick up some draft capital and get Dante Pettis. I like his situation. The most of the guys that you mentioned, I like the direction the organization's going. I'm confident in the scheme and the quarterback out there in San Francisco. And I like that he's going to be attached to Jimmy GQ. How about you, man? I think you're drinking the, whatever I'm drinking this weekend. Um, Some it, Bud Light lime, yeah, <laughs> something like that. I, yes, I, I, I mean Dante. To be honest with you, I like his situation the most of any receiver in the draft. Period. Point blank. Uh, if, if he if he's there at, in the high second, I would be thrilled to gr- thrilled to grab him. I mean, what I'm reading is is exactly why Matt Waldman was so high on him. And, and the situation just makes it better. I, I mean, it's it's the cherry on top of the Sunday, basically. I, I think the the 49ers liked him because he can play all all three wide receiver positions, and in Kyle Shanahan's system, that that's big. I, I think that they clearly felt like they had to get Jimmy Jimmy GQ some more assets. I think you know Pettis going to the University of Washington stays on the West Coast too. I, I, I think it's I think it's a great move for them and, and the draft pick capital that they gave up just signals to me that they're they're all in on this guy and, and he's got tremendous upside. So, you know, th- that may that may end up being a miss, you know, who knows? But I think his situation and, and I, I think you have to go into with the rookie wide receivers at this point, you know, post two thousand fourteen basically, with the mindset that that, you know, you're expecting them not to be fantasy starters this year. I think that 2014 was anomaly with Mike Evans, with OBJ, with you know, even with Kelvin Benjamin who started off hot and you know, kind of cooled off, and, and guys like Brandon Cooks. So, I, I mean, could you spot start these guys maybe you know some of the time, or can, can one of these guys you know break out and and be fantasy viable like a Judy Smith Schuster was last year? Absolutely. Is it more likely potentially in year two? Absolutely. Fair enough. And to that end, let me give you three names, Goody. And 
then I'll give you some context as to why. Here are the three names. Okay. Michael Gallup, DJ Chark, and Traquan Smith. Gallup ending up in Dallas. Chark ending up in Jacksonville. Traquan Smith ending up in New Orleans. Right now, they sit at the 2.05 if in a standard 12 team draft. 2.05, 2.06, and 2.07. The reason why I give you those names is because Bobby Hoyt writes to us at Bobby D. Hoyt. I have the 101, but no second rounder. I need wide receivers. Any value in attempting to trade up to round two to grab a wide receiver and who might be available mid-second. So fortunately, those three names are, in fact, who's available mid-second. Who we got for Bobby? Who are we telling him to go pursue? I I think of those three, and I don't remember the order. I think you had Gallup as 2.05. Is that correct? Correct, yep. Okay, I – I think he he's the one I really know know the most about. Um, I I mean I think Gallup and Shark could be Shark could be the the options there. I, I don't know much about about the last guy, but uh, in terms of the Saints, I I feel like I, I'm I'm kind of a Cam Meredith believer, and and I, I think that you know with Kamara in the passing game and and Michael Thomas being just kind of a target monster and and all that i i, I don't know that i want to invest so on someone who may be down the depth chart um uh, maybe for a couple of, if you know for a couple of years um i i think Jacksonville is kind of also a unique situation that you really just don't they have a plethora of receivers and you just don't know if one of them is going to be a dominant one i, I mean Certainly, D.D. Westbrook has a path to it. I, I liked what I saw from Keelan Cole last year. Um, and Dante Moncrief, if he could stay healthy, has is an in- interesting case, too. And, and then they opted to keep Marquise Lee. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't know about that Jacksonville situation either. The Cowboys clearly have a need at wide receiver, invested some high draft capital in Gallup, who, you know, was a pretty prolific receiver at Colorado State. Um, I, you know, I'd be, I'd be drawn more to him. Yeah. You can't, that, that kind of opportunity seems rare for a rookie running back. I'll echo that and make this easy on you, Bobby. If you're going to give up any kind of draft capital to trade into the, to the mid second, it's to go get Gallup, I think. Um, or, or for some reason, if like a guy, you know, earlier in some of that fancy pro stuff, I know that may have changed post draft. Like if a guy like Pettis is there, I'm, I'm all about it. Especially, you know, a ten-team draft like then the middle of the second round may have some other other elements in it. So you're talking like you know, pick fifteen or sixteen, you know, as opposed to you know, pick eighteen. Yeah, I, so I to speak. Yeah, I just don't see it though. I think Matt, like your counseling of patience may be wise and 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 sage, but again, I think Dante's draft capital is just going to be an inferno from now and he the, the kind of receivers that he has ahead of him christian kirk james washington anthony miller are all immediately ahead of him i could easily see him leapfrog leapfrogging those three guys in your drafts and and creeping into the very tail end of the first round because mm-hmm. i mean christian kirk certainly is appealing on so many levels we haven't talked about him yet at all i don't think on our podcast but he, mm-hmm. he he's attached to for a year, Sam Bradford, who has like serious efficiency when he's upright and healthy, and Arizona seemingly got a steal by going to get Rosen. At least they've got a pretty secure plan moving forward. So uh, it's nice to attach uh, receivers to good situations like that. Anthony Miller is a part of the Draftnik like darling community, 
and certainly our own Bob Cowper likes him, and he too attaches to a young and upcoming quarterback in a, an offensive system that a lot of people are in love with. So uh, those guys will vie for targets. James Washington goes with like gets instant street cred by being drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Apparently, they are the most amazing scouts for wide receivers that have ever existed in the history of the league. <laughs> so, like, but again, as you point out with some other people, like I love James Washington. And I and I, I love that Pittsburgh saw him as a good receiver, but is he ever going to be anything more than third on that depth chart, which is really fourth behind Le'Veon Bell, too, right? Yeah, no, I I mean I think what maybe they like about Washington is he's kind of the guy who can take the top off the defense, and they, in theory, Martavis Bryant was that, and they decided that you know the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. Sent him to the Raiders. I like that for David for um. Car, Derek Carr more than anything. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see from there. But, I mean, to get a third-round pick for it, which I th- I'm not sure if that pick is the one that turned into Mason Rudolph or not. But, you know, they also could be kind – the Steelers could be counting on that Rudolph to Washington battery for the upcoming, you know, future. Who knows how, how much longer Big Ben plays. Uh, one thing I would be cautious about with, with Washington – is if, if Washington pops in preseason, uh, I wouldn't read too much into that because that could just be the Rudolph to Washington connection, kind of the practice squad hero connection that you see with that a backup quarterback develops with his receiver that he already has with his college quarterback in place. I mean, of course, Andrew Luck never really found that with Kobe Fleener um, in, in the NFL went from their Stanford days, but I think with a guy like Washington and Rudolph, that that's a possibility. So if you're if you're drafting later on in the year, like you know, rookie drafts are in middle of August after some preseasons happened. I just want to kind of preach being very cautious about like reading into that. Well said, sir. That's a good insight. So let's talk a little bit um, for for people like us that have drafts coming up in the next few days. This early consensus pushes the following names to us that are going to be post. Uh, second round and so of these guys are there any that you that just scream to you like you got to get this guy because they're still available at the end of and some people don't even go three rounds deep so that might even be worth taking a flyer on in a second round over some other names so you got people like Deion Kane, Naeem Hines, Equinemius St. Brown, Callaway, John Kelly, Hayden Hurst, Kalen Balaj, Bo Scarborough, Josh Allen, Mark Walton, Mark Andrews, Auden Tate. That's like what a third round looks like in the community right now. Uh, and again, you don't have to go through that litany of names. Any of them, or is there any one of them that like you want to go chasing as an RSO owner specifically in the third round? Because the the value there, right? Like at the start of the third round, you were only paying a million for the contract. By the by, the twelfth pick in the third round, you're down to like less than a million. So you're you're just burning a roster spot basically for some potentially serious upside. Any of those guys stand out to you? Right. I mean, I guess the first thing about RSO, depending on what le- what type of league you're in, burning a roster spot is something that could be quite valuable in certain cases. So, you know, you have to kind of w- weigh that and how much if this draft pick is do really how much do you believe in your own scouting abilities, I would say. Um, but for, for the ones that where your rosters are deep enough, like kind of like we have in the experts league where you start eight guys and, and we're in, I think the second year of having rookie drafts, um, I, I would certainly look at a couple of those guys. I mean, I I think the first one that jumps off to me, 
Well, for, first off, um, Grant, Grant Barfield, when he was on, was very high on John Kelly. I think that that's kind of a tough proposition being behind Todd Gurley right now. I, I mean, you know, of course, Graham couldn't predict everybody's situation. I mean, maybe, maybe the Rams use him like a Lance Dunbar type, but I, I you know, I, I think that's a real stretch to even have flex appeal, you know, in, for the next, for the next three years, I would say. So I probably wouldn't burn a pick on Kelly in, in that sense. Um, Equinemia St. Brown is interesting, um, namely because he's on the pack on the Packers, kind of a, a taller receiver who could replace like the red zone aspects of, of like a Jory Nelson. I mean, I know they have Jimmy Graham in the red zone too, um, who uh, kind of seemingly is banged up all the time now. Um, so I, I, I think he's de- he's definitely worth a flyer. There was somebody else you mentioned that I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm trying to recall. Who that was? Um, Balaj, Bo Scarborough, Naheem Hines. Like, Naheem, Naheem. yeah, it was it was Naheem Hines. Right. Um, good, you know, set of skills on a team that didn't doesn't necessarily have a lead back. I mean, I know some were high in Marlon Mack. I mean, I I personally, and I think it's been mentioned, you know, that no team really was making the leap on C.J. Anderson before the draft. I think when you don't have to make any, you know investing draft pick capital in it. I could see the Colts maybe grabbing CJ Anderson. So, you know, I, if they, if they don't, then I think Naheem Hines is, is a, is a pretty good educated dart throw in the third too. Are there, are are there any tight ends that you're seeing post pick 24? Uh, Not that interests me, but that's again, because I, I'm not, I'm not chasing tight ends. The first tight end taken off the board in reality, Hayden Hurst sits uh, currently at the 30th overall drafted player right now. So okay. he, yeah. Hurst in Baltimore. And so he's the third tight end being taken for fantasy purposes because one interesting insight for our listeners is that right now, at least amongst the expert consensus, there's a gulf between the eighth running back being taken, which uh, the eighth running back is currently Karrion Johnson that we alluded to earlier, sitting at the 11th overall pick. And there's a gulf all the way to Naheem Hines uh, as the ninth running back taken, taken at the 26th pick. So you're looking at 15 picks that happen in between uh, those two running backs. And so like that's where that second round is where the value tends to be on quarterback and tight end along the way. So, uh, So that's what we're talking about there. I will say I, I, it was a bit heartbreaking after listening to Graham and he's he's doing a good job of kind of shouting John Kelly's names from the mountaintops. Like when you're sitting behind the number one player in fantasy, arguably this year, that's real hard to see a path to value um, of any substance for John Kelly. So I think that was one of those times where you could just hear the balloon deflating from the from the fantasy community on that particular name. Um, I, I just want to state something. I don't know that we've talked about this before, but I know everybody in the fantasy community has their feelings about um, what, handcuffs. And and I, I know that you know people in the fantasy community maybe love John Kelly's potential, but I, I'm not using rookie draft capital to to buy handcuffs. Um, I I don't necessarily like it that much unless it's a situation where the the players you know where the handcuff has like extreme value because they already have standalone value. Like a guy like Tevin Coleman who already has a defined role in the, in the Falcons offense, which, you know, just got more crowded with Calvin Ridley. 
Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm not using rookie capital for that. But I'm not necessarily averse to saying I don't need all my wide receivers that I'm taking in the rookie draft to be the to in theory to like right now be wide receiver one on their own team if the offense is you know if the offense is fruit bearing. Yeah, I I tend to be with you. I I'm I'm comfortable with handcuffs to an extent, um, but. I think your former colleague and boss, JJ Zacharyson, has done a good job debunking analytically the, the potential value of handcuffs. And unless you have a lot of belief in the player independent of their role as a handcuff, if you just think that there's someone who could pop if given the opportunity in any situation, regardless of injury, then then go ahead and spend that capital on them. But don't go chasing it uh, as an insurance policy. It, it rarely, uh, rarely pays off. I, the ESB thing, Equidemius St. Brown... Is someone as a as an Ordain fan, I love for, love for him. I, I was super excited about him, and and you, we talked a little bit about how I, I mean, I was kind of kind of waiting with bated breath on every pick in the draft, and and you had actual like real life and and human responsibilities this weekend. But I will say that was mm. one of the one of the biggest things. Goody is like it. The draft just kept going, and going, and I and I thought I had missed something. Like when I went out to play with my daughters or like hang out with my wife, I'd be like, where is why is he not picked yet? And the, the Packers didn't pick him until after two other wide receivers and almost a, almost 100 picks after Jamon Moore. Um, so does that give you any pause as to like potentially dropping a second-round pick on him, knowing that he's probably third, at least in the eyes of the talent evaluators on the Packers, as far as their incoming rookie class? If you're talking about the end of the second round, I'm not nec- if it's a third round, yes, no, no-brainer. Um, I am not picking Equinemia St. Brown over a potential quarterback, whether that's in a in a one QB or a super flex league, just because I think that the upside, if if you're grabbing a quarterback that you're confident in, and we haven't talked about quarterbacks at all, and I, I hope that we will. Um, I, without you maybe divulging some strategy for this upcoming rookie draft, or me the same. Yeah, I, I think the path to upside with a with a quarterback, especially one that was taken in in the first round um, of the real NFL draft, is is something that's more enticing than than projecting the you know the second or third cog in Aaron Rodgers' offense. Sounds good. Yeah, you and I differ pretty dramatically on on picking quarterbacks in single quarterback leagues, so we'll leave that to our listeners to sort out for themselves. Like I. I tend to yeah. take I tend to take flyers on wide receivers and running backs rather than picking a quarterback. I, I see a lot of wisdom in what you're saying. Nick Andrews talked to us about how those picks tend to retain value, especially if they're highly drafted in the real NFL. So to mm-hmm. some sense like you like you should be lauded for that strategy. Um let's talk superflex though. Our listeners need to get some love here in the RSO experts draft and the writers draft. This is what we're talking um we this is a, a wonderful draft for the superflex in terms of infusion of talent. So we have four uh, quarterbacks that go in the top ten in order. We have Mayfield starting off the NFL draft. We have Darnold coming at pick three, Allen going to the Bills at pick seven, Rosen coming in at pick ten, and then the Ravens trading back into the first round to to get that that fifth year option on Lamar Jackson presumably. Um, and then you can pick your poison later with 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 flyers on people like Mason Mason Rudolph to the Steelers as maybe an heir apparent to Big Ben and Kyle Laletta as potentially a stand-in for 
for Eli Manning when he's done. So, um, but yeah, let's talk super flex. And again, we don't have to divulge strategy, but I, I mean, I'm comfortable saying I'm like sitting at the sixth pick and certainly Baker Mayfield's name is in play for me there. Uh, and I'll, I'll lead with that. Like, I don't think I'm saying too much to say it's, it's Mayfield and then probably Jackson and then Rosen in my mind. I think I, I really like the idea of Lamar Jackson and what those running quarterbacks can do, especially with the kind of talent evaluators and, and offensive coordinators he has around him. So yeah, I'm excited. Look, look, I love our super flex format. Talk to me about what you got for me. I, when do you see these guys popping in in our league? We, we had a run in the second round last year. Do you think that run starts in the first round, for example, this year? Um, I, I, th- I think it can, I think it just, to me, it, it, it really depends on someone's tolerance for standard deviation. Like if you look at the fantasy pros rankings and, and, and granted, since you're, you're, I, I just learned this today, everybody who's listening to the podcast, um, this week, but that, um, Luke is somebody who, who actually does fancy rankings for, for fancy pros. So he's one of the quote unquote experts. So how how much of an expert you know still remains to be seen in certain aspects but he was pretty he was he was pretty solid in our in our i like to call it the writers league because i feel like unless i'm winning a league every year like nick andrews um i'm not i'm no expert yet i mean i'm still after the holy grail and um later on in one of my one of my um big leagues um mark pesavento who's at the nfl network um who just you know was at the draft this that the, the first round of the draft this week um fellow notre dame fan luke so you guys will hit it off and i'll just i'll just like you know throw my headphones somewhere else when you guys start talking when we get him on the pod um you know vp of digital content of the nfl so really interesting job too so we, you know, we could pick his brain about that at some point and listen to him and I talk smack about our league. But um, kind of go, going back on the on the quarterbacks, I I don't know what the drop off point is. I think it's the tolerance for standard deviation. Um, so if you're sitting at the sixth pick, the seventh pick, and and this and this range of outcomes is scary to you, you're like, okay, I can go Baker Mayfield or I can go Ronald Jones. You know. It seems like you know so the person who has who has the the tolerance for risk is going to go Ronald Jones. The person who doesn't is going to go Baker Mayfield. I think, and, you know, in a super flex, and 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 I think it's also that I think people will try to game when that first quarterback's going to go because I think one once you know once that happens, you know, it's no different from a redraft league in in that standpoint. I think once that once the run on something goes, then I think it, it kind of goes in, you know, in waves. So I, I, I think if you're sitting high second in a super flex, you may be able, depending on how, you know, what positional needs are on some other guys' teams, you may be able to get one of the quarterbacks you're targeting. You know, I I have 2.02, you know, that'd be a, a pretty sweet outcome for me, I think, but I'm not counting on it. Fair enough. Listen, we will have a lot to say, and I and I agree with everything you say about experts. I think anyone that calls themselves an expert without kind of like some self-effacing humor uh, needs to needs to get a reality check. To, to be honest, like in, like well, it's in the all, right uh, podcast. It's the right it's the, name for the podcast. So no, I, I think I think we all have valuable insights and and 
and whatnot. And I think that who you choose to listen to can inform things and people, you know, have different ways of looking. And I think you and I, like what the value we provide is kind of from a game theory standpoint and a strategy standpoint, but ultimately people have to, you know, in their gut, they have to like Nick Chubb. They have to like so-and-so and, you know, guys like Matt Wallman, and Graham Barfields, you know, are, are using data driven approaches. They're watching a lot of film. They've come up with proprietary metrics where we have a, another huge guest in a couple of weeks to tease that who, who's, who does that as well, you know, kind of with a proprietary model and a position. Um, and I'm super excited about that as I know you are. Um, so get on Twitter, listen, listen to, listen to people who have different viewpoints who, who are kind of taking a data driven approach and then form your own opinion and be comfortable with who, who you're going with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, from a reality standpoint, the, the Eagles have haunted my dreams for, for much of the summer after they destroyed <laughs> my Vikings. And I, I will say this though, one of the most fun things that I saw during the course of the draft is the Eagles trading up to the pick before uh, Dallas picked and selected Dallas Goddard, uh, the, the <laughs> tight end. We haven't talked about tight ends at all. And it's not to that extent. I have actually no animus towards, towards Cowboy fans on like half the country, <laughs> but like, um, what I did find was funny is that someone started a change.org petition to get Dallas Goddard to change his name to Philly Goddard. And I thought that was like awesome. I just thought like there are, there are good moments in sport and like in terms of the reality too, the one that everybody kept talking about for the, from the draft. And, and it, it certainly was everything that it was billed to be when Shaquem Griffin got drafted by your Seattle Seahawks or by, by your hometown Seattle Seahawks. That was, that was really touching and, 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 and there was there was good moments when you're sitting around as a grown man watching young kids half your age walk on a stage to get their first job. You do need a reality check like that to some, sometimes to remember that these are kids that you got to root for regardless of where they end up because they've got such rare ability and such rare uh, kind of a rare opportunity that most of us that entertains a lot of us for the bulk of our year. Absolutely. I mean, I think that I think the draft's always fun. I think those kind of special interest situations. I mean, I I think that Shaquem Griffin, you know, certainly has a path to playing for the Seahawks. I don't think it. I mean, they, they used for you know he had a good combine. Um, they used decent draft capital on him. As Shaquille, his brother Shaquille is you know look, looking at starting a corner and they're kind of remaking that defense. So, you know, I I think I, I think it was a fairly solid move by them actually. Indeed. And on the flip side of it, it the, the Buffalo Bills got hammered for their trade-up for Josh Allen. They continue to get hammered by really respected names in our industry. I'm wondering, like, in truth, the kind of peer pressure that comes from that in a positive sense, right? Like who we listen to, how we interpret it. Do you see Josh Allen getting drafted in our top 20 picks? in the RSO writers league. Like I actually think it's going to, that kind of peer pressure is going to drive him out. Even though he has a clear path to starting as a quarterback in the NFL. I just think like the, the hate on the bills and Josh Allen have gone so far that I don't know that he cracks the top 20. I think you're setting me up here to admit that I was wrong with Deshaun Kaiser last year, um, <laughs> who's already gone, and I did pick him in the second or late second round last year. Um, I just passed the opportunity, but I, I think Allen's kind of a similar situation, just with you know a higher draft pick used. I think that you know, yes, Shady McCoy is there, still a decent piece, but you know the receivers are, are still a little iffy. The weather, the teams they play, I. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I th I tend to agree with you. I mean, maybe someone will take a flyer in the last four picks of the of the second round. I certainly think he'll go in the third because at that point he's basically free for you know super flex league. Um, something else that you brought up that was interesting I, that I want to talk about actually. Well, well, you and I aren't really keen in, in, in kind of Nick, through Nick's article and, and our own by by biasness, I guess, if that's a word, biases. It's not. I'll, I'll biases. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll correct the biases. Um, I, it's funny that, like, the Goddard thing to me is just kind of the impact of the potential value, like, erosion it has on Zach Ertz. And, and so, I mean, there's so many, there's so few certainties at the tight end position that it, now, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not paying $15 million for Zach Ertz with, you know, that high capital being used on tight end, um, you know, especially like one who kind of has similar traits to him. Yeah, Gertz, Ertz last year was so efficient with his targets and, and seemed like he was scoring a touchdown and like every other minute and like again I can't I can't talk about Eagles too much it's like breaking my heart but he just like scored touchdowns dated beautiful soccer players like basically was everything we want to be in life but mm -hmm. um but I, I tend to think you're right there it's, it's I, if I was an Ertz owner I would have been a little piqued by that pick and um like Goddard is highly regarded in the in the analyst community and the only thing that I would say gives me pause on dropping Ertz too far i think he still is easily in the top three and kind of a tier separate from everybody else mm -hmm. is that he i mean it's a tight end position that's difficult traditionally to transition into the nfl and true uh, and we have that amazing class from last year that we can refer back to now is the time where you might want to try to flip flip picks to go get the oj howard whose owner's mad that they extended cameron Brait, or the the disaffected joku owner who like just sees all this other talent infusion coming into Cleveland and thinks that there might not be enough targets for Njoku. I think, I mean, I think those guys are better than Goddard. And I don't, I don't feel bad saying that like a year <laughs> into their careers in the NFL, right? So they, they did nothing to dispel the kind of promise that they had when they were coming to us at this time last year. So yeah. again, with, with tight ends, go chasing them in their second or third year. You don't have to invest draft capital in them necessarily. Let someone else look burn those picks um, um speaking of that actually um i there is some other tight end news that i think is relevant so yeah i know it's not necessarily draft relevant but let's let's talk about it anyways number one the chargers have finally announced that antonio gates will no services will no longer be required um brilliant career there you know philip rivers go to go to guy but um, you know, as, as somebody who owns Hunter Henry in, in the writer's league, uh, and somebody who's high on Hunter Henry's efficiency and how good he was in limited opportunities last year and his rookie season pension for finding the red zone, um, the, sorry, the end zone. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm liking him as a top five tight end this year now on that news on, um, the Jason Witten saga. Um, I, yeah, who knows if he's going to TV or not. I, I know the Cowboys are making overtures to try to keep persuade him to keep playing. Uh, if I were them, I would gladly take the cap relief. I, I, I know they invested, I think, a fourth-round pick in tight end. Um, I, I know some people kind of in, in deeper leagues uh, have um, maybe have some shares of Rico Gathers. I'm kind of curious what that may look like. I know I have him in one, um, and, I, I mean, I think he's, you know, six foot seven, just a beast of a man. Um could be an interesting play if 
you know, if he's medically cleared, I think all signs point to that he is, and Jason Witten's retired. So that's someone, you know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't be buying at a high point on him because I think he's done nothing to warrant that. Um, but, you know, he could be an interesting name that, you know, some people who kind of had some frustration and had a lost season with him last year, you know, may turn into something a little more interesting this offseason. Absolutely. Yeah, I I don't know that the the Cowboys solution of drafting um Dalton Schultz at the 137th pick right. has any kind of impact of this year in fantasy, but uh, and certainly gathers is is a name to remember if you have the, the the roster spot in deeper leagues as a flyer. That that following my prescription for chasing tight ends, that's certainly somebody I would chase if I didn't have a quality tight end like Hunter Henry. But frankly, the guys like sitting at the top that are available, like the Cameron Brates and the, um, and even the Jack Doyles and the Eric Ebrons are, are people that are more intriguing to me because I think they, they still represent upside plays if attached to a really good quarterback. And, and so that's, mm-hmm. that's what we've got there, but well, goody, I think that's it for me tonight. I, um, I can be found at fantasy doc, 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 OC on Twitter. Um, you should look for some articles coming out. I'm going to start analyzing some of these rookies as where they fit into um, offensive schemes and play calling standpoints uh, um, coming up soon on Reality Sports Online. How about you, man? What's going on with you? Uh, you can find me at Matt Goody2 on Twitter. Uh, haven't been writing lately, so the podcast is kind of where I'm spending most most of my um, fantasy analysis time. Uh, but I, I do want to highlight the fact that, you know, it's always good to see reviews, be them on iTunes. I think most of them occur on iTunes. Definitely let us know. Give us feedback what we can improve on. We're, we're still a work in progress, and, and I do think we're getting better. We, we do have quality guests, and we're very lucky to have, a, you know, be part of an awesome fantasy community and um, also have just a deep RSO bench of, of writers who have um, various specialties, you know, whether it be rookies or data analysis or, you know, even Kyle on, on the tech side. So we're certainly going to have all those guys on. Uh, and, you know, it, it, we we want to hear from people, and and we also, you know, we'll def we're we're a user based platform, and and so we're gonna have users on as guests too at, at a certain point. So you know, I know people have asked me that question personally, and I think we're we're just trying to build up our street cred a little bit more, uh, and and we'll get there. But definitely leave those reviews, give us feedback, follow us on Twitter, um, download, favorite, um, subscribe to the podcast uh, on multiple platforms: Anchor, Google Play. Pocket Casts, um, I think we had a new one last week too, and obviously iTunes. So um, th- this is probably going to be it for us for a couple weeks, but um, just wanted to say thank you for all, all that um, you do as listeners and the great questions. Keep them coming, and this is all about reality. <laughs>